Hi, everybody. Welcome in. It is season two, episode 27 of the Always Loyal Podcast. Jordan Carruth, what are we talking about tonight? Hello, Darren Smith. Uh, we're talking about SD Loyal. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Matches coming up this weekend. Lionel Messi was already brought up before we even started chatting. I have a feeling Lionel Messi is going to get brought up as well. But we actually had a lot of questions submitted, so we get to surprise Landon Donovan with those. It's the Always Loyal Podcast. Thanks for all being here. All right, we want to start by saying thank you very much to our hosts. We are here in Rancho Bernardo. This is a first for the Always Loyal podcast. We are at the absolutely stunningly beautiful national headquarters of Lucia Capital Group. Thank you so much for hosting us tonight. They are located on Bernardo Center Drive. They've been serving San Diego for four decades, 40 years with investment advice, wealth management services, and a whole lot more. So let the professionals at Lucia Capital Group manage your investments for you, Lucia Capital capital group investing planning and more and thank you so much for them for hosting us for supplying the food the drink and of course for everybody for showing up thank you all for being here thank you landon donovan who is joining us live here at lucia capital group as well ld good to see you good to see you thank you all for coming out ray thank you for having us this is a beautiful venue I unfortunately ate before I came, so I didn't get to enjoy the tacos, <laughs> but maybe on the way out. All right. Well, good. Well, everybody's been enjoying themselves, and we thank them so much for their hospitality. Landon, of course, the executive vice president of soccer operations. And we did solicit some questions from the people who might be here or the people who RSVP'd. But Landon, the first question, we'll get to the, the questions coming up a little later on, the ones that Jordan and I aren't going to be supplying tonight. But I do want to get to this one early on. Your role as the executive vice president of soccer operations. Somebody wants to know, well, what exactly does that mean and what changed about your position? People want to know Good what you're question. doing this year. Good question. Um, in a nutshell, I do whatever Nate Miller needs me to do is the way I would say it. So on the soccer side... Anything that cannot be solved or they, they need help with, I help with. So that can be player contracts, talking with agents. Um, I go down at least once a week to Chula Vista to help with mostly the attacking players. It's a love of mine to work with them individually. Um, and then other little odds and ends that happen around the club that, that need my help. So it's a much less uh, intensive role. Um, not always on the clock like I was before, uh, but I try to help in all the different little ways I can. And how are you enjoying it? I love it. I've, um, I've had the opportunity. I have three young children. I've had the opportunity to spend a lot more time with them. I drop them off at school most days, get to pick them up most days, and then also get to do what I love, which is helping Nate and the coaching staff helping on the big picture ideas for the club, and then also helping the players individually, which is where I get my most joy. So it's been a, a real win for me. Big adjustment? Not really, because it's a lot simpler, right? When you're a head coach, it's a grind. I mean, it is literally 24-7. Even if you're not physically working on something, you're always thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, or where are the problems, or what can I fix, or how can I help, and... So it's been a lot easier to take a step back in that way and then still help in the ways that I'm good at. How is Nate Miller doing? Fantastic. Um, I've been around a lot of soccer people in my life, and Nate is 
the most intelligent soccer person I've ever been around. Uh, didn't play the game at a high level, but he knows the game and knows how to get a team to do what he needs it to do better than anyone I've ever seen. And we watch a lot of high-level games around the world, and what I think people probably take for granted here is what you see on mostly Saturday nights at Torero is what top, top teams try to do around the world. Now, nobody's claiming that USL players are the same as Premier League players or La Liga players, but the the way we play is like a few top teams around the world, and that's all because of Nate. Can you... Name a couple of those other teams that maybe play a similar way. <laughs> well, Nate, you know, Nate we draws. Aspire to be Nate. Yeah, Nate draws a lot of inspiration from just top managers. Who I'll I'll draw it clearly for you guys. Most soccer coaches and managers around the world focus on what the opponent is going to do each week, and they cater their training that week. They cater their game plan that week to what the opponent does. The hardest thing in soccer to do is what Manchester City does, which is every week they take the ball from minute one and they say, we're going to have the ball, we're going to dominate you, and if you can't figure out a way to stop that, we're just going to beat you three or four or five or six to zero. And they also have the best players in the world, so they're able to do it. What most managers do is they think about a way to stop the opposition from doing what they're doing. And Pep says, I don't care what the opposition, we're going to do what we do, and we're basically going to beat you into submission and, and beat you that way. And so it's not 100% of the time that it works, right? Because they have top players that every time they get a chance, they finish. Um, but for us, that mentality is the same. And we try to, you know, we try to be dominant in the way we play. And that's because of how, how Nate approaches the game. How much of that is the way that Coke Vegas is used? Good question. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last weekend when the Premier League started, you saw um, Ederson start to like drift far out of the goal. And we, Nate and I looked at each other as we were watching. And we we're like, oh, no, now people are going to think we do that because because <laughs> of what Man City does. And I'm pretty sure Pep Guardiola isn't watching San Diego Loyal play. But for a long time, we've talked about how do we add more numbers into the attack. And one way you do that is get your goalie higher up the field to basically play as a center back when you're building out of the back. So when you watch our games, you'll see Koke near midfield sometimes when we have the ball. And for a lot of people... I'm sure when you watch that, it causes anxiety because you're like, oh, my God, if the ball turns over, they're going to score. But knock on wood, nobody's scored a 60-yard goal against us yet. But it allows us to move Colin Martin higher up the field, Charlie Adams higher up the field, Joe Corona higher up the field, and it gives us another number in the attack. So it's it's pretty unique. Um, that's evolved over time and how we've used Koke. Koke is unique in how he plays the position, and he's fearless. I mean, he's putting himself at risk every time he steps on the field because he can get exposed and embarrassed. But he does it, and he's... The, the interesting thing is, so in an average soccer game, the highest, highest output players run probably 10 to 11 kilometers, so we'll call it 6 to 7 miles. Koke now is running 4-plus miles a game, which for a goalkeeper is unheard of. Unheard of, right? Most goalkeepers, if they ran a mile in a game, it would be outrageous. And Koke is running four miles in a game. All right, so we've actually had to adjust how we train Koke because he has to prepare during the week so that he can do that on the weekend. And he's done it 
fantastically. He's the uh, the only goalkeeper I ever looked up a heat map for, because I don't know that there's ever good. been a reason to look that up. And it's funny because after that caught my eye a couple of weeks ago, where his average position was outside of the 18, I started looking into Ederson and Ter Stegen and some of the other goalkeepers who you associate with that style. Yeah, and you couldn't find many goalkeepers in Europe that were doing the kind of things that that Koke's doing that you guys are asking of him. Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from for him? So when I met Nate, um, I was just blown away by his brilliance, his soccer brilliance. And so he would often talk about with a back, generally a back three that we play with. How do you get more players higher up the field during a game? Right? So a lot of teams you'll watch, mostly when they build in a back four, and I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, but when they build with four, two center backs and outside backs, a lot of times they'll have a central midfielder drop down in between them back behind the ball to help them keep possession. And we agree that's useless. That's stupid. So if our center backs are good enough on their own to build out of the back to get the ball to a Colin Martin or a Charlie Adams. We want those guys higher up the field because they can make plays higher up the field and they're much more dangerous higher up the field. So as that evolved and our center backs got really comfortable breaking the first line of pressure on their own without having another center midfielder come back and help them, we said, okay, so what's the next step? How do we get another number higher up the field? Well, the only option left is the goalkeeper right so how do we get our goalkeeper to start and we had to start slow because you can't just say okay go stand at midfield and we'll start to build with you (laughs) he would have lost his mind so how do you start to encourage him to move higher up the field to build with us and be confident in doing it and to Koke's immense credit he he took it and ran with it almost to the point where we had to pull the reins back a little bit and say, okay, that's a little too high, but you know, I'll just, I'll give you a little, um, forewarning as to what I believe is next in the world of football is, is that sometimes you'll see with our center backs, Grant Stoneman will receive the ball and he'll start driving forward into the midfield, right? Or one of our center backs will drive forward into the midfield, provoke someone to them and then make the next pass. Well, I don't see any reason why a goalkeeper can't also drive into the midfield when they're that high and make the next pass, right? Um, Now, it's risky, but I think as goalkeepers get more and more confident and comfortable with that, the chances of someone picking up a ball and hitting a 70-yard shot into your goal are pretty rare. So it can be worth it if you're a a team that's really ball-dominant. How fragile of a process was it? Was it something at the beginning where (laughs) you thought, we're just going to find a way and this is what we're going to do? Or throughout the process were there outs yeah there was well we had to convince Koke right that this was good for him and that this wasn't going to ruin his career so that was part of it um initially there was a lot of hesitation with Koke initially but after like a couple weeks like I said he started taking more and more liberties we had to say okay hold on a sec Koke let's let's slow down a little bit but he loves it I mean, it's imagine how much joy that brings a goalkeeper in a in a team that's so ball dominant like we are most of the time the goalie sits on their goal line and they're just bored and they're asked to make three or four plays in the game and that's it. But he actually gets to be a part of what we're doing. So when we train, you know, for today, for instance, I was at training. When we start training, he and Duran are part of the warm-up with the players. They're not off on their own. First exercise, they're doing the passing exercise with us. 
the second exercise, they're in the exercise with our team and then they go off on their own. I mean, that doesn't, most goalkeepers know they're with their goalkeeper coach for 45 minutes and then they come take shots for 15 minutes at the end of training. But they're really a part of what we do because they're a part of what we do. Yeah, we talked about that with Tim Howard last week about what is his definition of a modern goalkeeper. He said, well, you still got to make saves. I don't care what you can do with your feet. You still yeah. got to make saves. So he's still in that mindset, which everybody understands. He's right. Best goalkeeper, right. You still have to be able to do that. But, but there's was, no reason why goalkeepers now can't do both. It's, right. you know, there's plenty of time during training to do both and learn how to do both. And kids at a young, I mean, Duran at 16, he's fearless too. I mean, he just does, and he can make all the saves and he can come for crosses and do all the, but he's just like, yeah, this is what I do. He's watching cocaine. This is what we do. Right. And I think his point was, you know, it used to be the goalkeeper and the 10 outfield players. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's part of the same group. I don't know if it was that way when you were playing, if you felt like. Not at all. I don't know what the goalkeepers are doing over there. That's their jam. They go do their own thing. They're their own breed. They're weird. We're over here doing our Yeah, they're our super stuff. weirdos. Like, we would try to, I would go out of my way to not spend time with goalkeepers. But now we're trying trying to incorporate them a little more kickers kickers and totally. like gridiron football totally. pitchers and baseball right totally. like those They're guys do their own thing way. i don't know what they do i, I right. i'm over here yeah times Spend are changing the less time with them the best That's what right. is a match day like for you we see you you're hustling you're walking a lot you're, of you're putting in some mileage anxiety <laughs> so i show up early when the coaches show up um it's not a whole lot for me to do at that time I go into the meeting room with them. If there's a conversation or two that Nate needs my help with, I'll have a conversation or two with a player or just, I kind of check in with the guys and try to help them as much as I can in that moment, just be confident and ready for the game. Um, Nate and I have a really, what I, a, a, a special time that I really value. So once the coaches go out for warm up, he and I spend about 10 to 15 minutes in the locker room together and just, chat about different things that I really cherish. Um, that time's really nice for us. And then I leave him so he can have some time to just sit. It's, we always would say when I was coaching, he would say, I, I know that's the only time during the week where you get to just kind of chill by yourself for like 15 minutes of quiet when you're in the locker room and everyone's house, uh, everyone's out warming up. So I leave him I go into the box next to this guy usually. Um, and then I'm just um, an anxious ball of energy for 90 minutes and go down at halftime. If there's something I see that's really blatant, I'll let Nate know, but I don't want to step on any toes and um, just try to be there supportive. What, uh, what have you had to tell Nate potentially at halftime? <laughs> now that you say well, it that way. What's interesting about sitting up there is you see the game totally different perspective, right? So you see it different from up there when you're up. When you're on the sideline, and this took a long time for me as a coach, you don't know what's going on on the other side of the field. You have no concept of what's going on over there because it's all right in your face. When you're sitting up above, you see everything and it's very clear and it, it's, it's really valuable. Myself and Rodri, who's our data analyst, sit up in the box together and then just listening to him, he sees the game so analytically. So he's, it's not that he's emotionally absent from the game because he cares, but he's looking at it so analytically. So he's just like, oh, Stoney needs to step here and do this and this and this. And it's, I've learned so much just being up there next to Rodri. Um, but if I see something really blatant that I think, oh, this would really help us, then I'll go down and say, hey, I think, you know, right before he talks to the team, I think this would really help us if we did this. What do you miss about coaching? Nothing. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> no, there's a level of control that is, um, it's almost an illusion, right? You feel like you're in control and you can make the decisions, but then you're fully responsible for everything too. And that's hard. Um, probably just being able to impact their lives every day is what I miss, but I do go down once or twice a week and have that impact. I do just wish, I wish I could have more of that, but I'm also really happy with where I am now. And, and it's fun to see Nate have this opportunity and grow too. We do have some, some questions that we'll get to here in a couple of minutes, but Jordan asked you how you thought Nate was doing, which is sort of like asking how you think the season's going, 10 wins and seven draws and six losses, 36 points, sitting fourth on the table as the, the time of this recording here from Lucia Capital Group. Um, 11 more to go. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder you know, how this, this club, this, this squad in particular, stacks up to what we've seen so far in Loyal's history. Someone asked me today, actually, do you think you guys are good enough to like win-win? And I said, yeah. There are, I think, probably six or seven teams in the league that you could say, yeah, they can really win it all. We can. Um, we have enough to do it. Question is, will we, right? And we've had, you know, every year you kind of go through the season and you say, okay, probably shouldn't have won that game but picked up points. Didn't deserve to lose that game, but we lost. You know, Pittsburgh away comes to mind. India away comes to mind. We didn't deserve to lose either of those games. Um, Loudon, we probably deserved to win, but we could have lost that game. And so you kind of go through the season and say, okay, when you get to the playoffs, are you able to win those games? And that's been, just to be candid, that's been our Achilles heel in the first three years. Can we win those big final games? We're still finding, I mean, this is crazy to say, but we're still finding what is our best team. We're really close. Our best 11 players together. Not the best 11 players, but the best together. And we're still finding that, but we're getting close now. And so I think if, well, not if, when we get to that, which I think Nate will get to that in the next few weeks, consistently staying with that team minus a suspension here or an injury there, I think we'll really learn, can we do it? And I think we can. I think we can. It's not easy, but I think we can. And when you're trying to navigate your way through a 34-game season, right, with Open Cup on top, you have to manage and prepare for the whole season, right? Like sure. The longer the season, sometimes the more you have to, to manage for the final 11 matches of the year. Jordan and I were talking about this. I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but but the last couple of years, it felt like, hmm, last handful of matches five six games of the regular season maybe a little bit of a stumble heading into the postseason something yeah. that you and Nate have talked about is there is there any sort of strategy or or any sort of thought process about how to to, to get across the finish line going to the postseason should you guys qualify to do so playing the best version of soccer that you guys want to play great question so oftentimes I've learned in life you're best quality is also your worst attribute. And so one of our, Nate and I share this, and it's why we've connected so well. One of our best qualities is that we really genuinely care about our guys. I mean, genuinely. And so we always put the person first, player second. We always say that. Part of the challenge with that is that when a guy trains really well for a week, 
will say he deserves to play minutes on Saturday. Okay. Noble, right? Sometimes, and we've both been at fault for this, you'll play the guy even if it's maybe not the best choice to win that game. But he deserved to play minutes because he played well during the week, trained well during, and he earned it. And we've got, and we've talked a lot. We actually talked today for a long time about that. And so a lot of coaches are just ruthless. They say, I don't care if the guy trained well. I don't care if he's a good teammate. I'm going to play this guy in these minutes because he gives us a better chance to win and score a goal, even though he hasn't been good all week. And what we talked about is how do we shift the pendulum a little bit towards being a little more ruthless while still caring about the player and being honest with them. So I think that's where we've gotten in a little bit of trouble as far as results go. The other side of that is I think every player who's ever played here would say at a minimum, it was, you know, a top three place they played. And in most cases, number one, because they felt cared about. So it's something we're always trying to balance. Off. Um, so it it's an easier conversation to just have without getting into the details. So playing your best soccer at the right time, it's easy to say, hey, we want to be really good. We want to be playing our best as we're rolling into the playoffs. What kind of management do you need to do during the regular season, potentially, uh, that would allow you to be playing your best soccer at the right time? Good question. So something people need to remember about it's mostly in my my experience this level. We have a number of guys who you guys think of as longtime professionals who have only been real pros for two or three years. And so understanding how to manage your body, get through a 34 game season plus playoff games is a skill that you have to develop. So Colin Martin's a good example, right? So Colin Martin comes to us at, as a 24 or five year old and you think, okay, he's 25. Of course he's had a lot of experience he's had a he was never a real pro who played every week until he got to us so it's taken him two or three years to learn how to manage his body how to manage minutes how to take care of himself off the field alejandro guido same thing right until he got to us he was never a real pro and so that's part of being at this level is that maybe talent wise they have mls quality but until you can do it over and over and over and over during a year and over and over during season after season after season, are you a real pro? And so that's something we've had to help our guys learn and understand. So guys like that now, they felt the loss in San Antonio. They felt the loss against Oakland last year, and they know what it means at the end of the year to be really good and to go through those experiences. Unfortunately, we didn't get them as mature players, all of them. So we've had to help guide them to that point. But we feel... Of course, we have some young, inexperienced players, but now we feel like we have enough guys who have been through enough experiences that they can help us. Adrian Perez is another example. Very talented, one of the best wingbacks in the league, but he's never played. He's played 40 total pro games before he came to us as a 26-year-old. 40 total pro games, right? Blake Bodily, the same. Very good player, but he hasn't played a lot of soccer games in his life. So you have to teach them how to do that. And until you experience it, it's really hard. We can talk about it all day, but you have to feel it and experience it before you can be successful at it. Does it feel like the season's success will be determined on whether or not Loyal can figure out playing their best soccer at the right time? Does it feel like that's going to determine what you is a positive season? I th Partially, yes, but I also think if we need to find the best 11 that work together 
And I think we're close because I think in the last few months, the OC game was not good. Um, Memphis game last weekend was a hard loss to swallow, but we played well. Loudon, we played very well. The road trip, actually, we played very well in those four games. And so we're getting closer and closer and closer to understanding what the best 11 is and then who are the right guys that can help us off the bench. And once you get to that, give those guys a run of games, I think we have a real chance. I want to bring up is Evan Conway. He uh, is quickly scoring a lot of goals. He might be the franchise all-time leading scorer here in a couple of weeks. He can easily uh, take that top spot. Why has he been so effective for Loyal? Does everybody realize that? Like that he is yeah. one goal away He's from so, I surprised Darren like, before the show. Yeah, hey, Jordan said that. Uh, you meant, Someone said year, that right? to me last week. I yeah. didn't understand. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't figure it out either. Um, Evan is competitive, supremely athletic. His mentality is top level. He has like an MLS plus mentality. Shows up every day in, in like grinds. And he's um, fearless. He understands, like he feels situations and knows where to be in the box. And that's why he scores goals. Um, and he's technically a very good player. So, and he's consistent. When you put all those attributes together, you say, okay, that's a guy who can play in MLS, right? Usually there's one or two deficiencies that prevent someone from playing in MLS. And Evan has, he has all the qualities to play there. And so... When he's on a team like ours, where you create a high volume of chances and you have other really talented, good players around, he just shows up in the right spot time after time after time, and then he makes the plays. And he's he's a joy to coach. He also has bleached hair now. Yeah, and I can't really talk about that because I did that at one point too, but um, that's why I'm bald now. Um, but, you know, whatever. Whatever works. <laughs> so Evan's going to go bald in a few years? Since Shadowing. I don't know. He's got great hair. You and Demarcus, though. You guys both, both did bald. that simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Who no, wore I'm it better? See, yeah. You or Conway? Who wore it better? Conway. <laughs> uh, we were, right before we were getting set to, to start recording this podcast, we were asked a question by Ray Lucia Jr. about, you know, cussing. And, like, Jordan and I don't cuss a lot, but there is a, a term in this sport that I... I'm not allowed to use on radio that I, I, I if any, nobody minds, uh, only because it came up about the recent match against Memphis, which is, you know, there's a soccer term called shithousing. Uh, I wonder. I didn't go on with that. By yeah, the way. right, right. I, I could, okay. you were going yeah. with this. And shithousing, I, yeah. We'll, you know, figure that out in the editorial room later. Um, is that something, you know, that term there, like, like, how do you feel about that? How do you address it in training sessions right like it, wow. it covers it's a pretty big umbrella how do for, you define it you know just some of the dark arts of the game about limping to the sideline side right you know time wasting yeah a little bit of uh you know shouting for penalties things along those lines it's definitely part of it yeah um for the most part in our country our our soccer culture is gone away from that, which I'm glad. Um, I saw a lot of that in the Memphis game, which was really, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And um, it was almost weird to see because in some parts of the world you expect that to happen, but I didn't expect that from an English manager <laughs> with um, a bunch of American players. That's usually pretty rare. So that was a little strange in the Memphis game. In days past, you would say that's kind of just 
part of the sport. But fortunately, for the most part, we've gotten rid of it because it's not, you know. There are types of S-housery that um, I think are funny and like good banter and that kind of stuff. But then there's the stuff. There was a lot in the Memphis game where you're like, okay, just get up and play. Like we're trying to play the game, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, when it happens, when you're facing a team, obviously, it's more frowned upon than if you're engaged in I it. I mean, it's, there's, there's times where it's, there are things that you can do that are funny or good banter or you're talking back to someone or whatever. But if you're just trying to delay the game where, you know, people are paying hard-earned money to come watch the game, that's when I'm like, okay, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Jordan, you want to jump into some fan questions? Let's do it. I think we actually covered a decent amount of the fan questions. What do you have in front of you? Well, here's an interesting one. What, what advice, Landon, do you, especially given you know your history, now Hall of Famer Landon Donovan, what advice do you give to the... That's right. What advice, what role do you play, whether it's you know Duran, who you mentioned there, 16-year-old goalkeeper, Xavi, uh, who just signed his pros, playing, balancing life, financial planning, which would fit in really well here at Lucia Capital. What sort of uh, what sort of advice do you have? I guess not only for the players, but also for the the families that are helping to make those decisions. It's really those are really hard decisions for fam. So, with Duran and Xavi, unique situations. So, Duran at 16, the conversation you're having with his family and him is you are giving up unequivocally giving up a college scholarship, which in today's world could mean 200 plus thousand dollars, right? To a family. And you have to, we, we've always been very sensitive to that. And it's why we haven't signed many guys, only two now to pro deals that are young kids, because it's a very sensitive topic. And I can't look myself in the mirror if if Duran signed a pro deal and in a year he's not playing soccer anymore and he gave that up. So we have long, long conversations with Mike and Brandy, his parents, about what does this mean and how is this going to impact your son. Um, to their credit, they, and this is in Xavi's case too, they said, look, we support Duran if he wants to do this and this is something he's passionate about. We're going to support him and, and we'll make it work. Um, but these are hard discussions we have to have. And with Xavi, this was, you know, a long time in the making. And we talked to him multiple times, went back and forth with him multiple times. And at one point I said to Xavi, Xavi, I don't know how much you're going to play, right? Like this is Nate's decision and it's not my decision. It's Nate's decision, whether, whether you play or not, I'm not sure I would do this if I were you. And I said, Many times, to him, you need to talk to your family. You need to think about it long and hard. And we had many, many discussions. In the end, Shavi's now an 18-year-old man, and he has to make his own decision. And he came to me and he said, look, I've thought about it for a long time. This is what I want to do. I want to be a pro. If it doesn't work out at some point, I'm very fortunate. I will have the ability to go to college later if I need to, and I want to do it. And we said, okay, as long as you've taken the time to really think this through. Yeah. It's a huge decision. Um, it is. It is. What, what are the futures of Duran Free and Xavi? Where do you see them in four or five years from now? I think they will both be pros. Um, Xavi, the question with Xavi has always been 
physically, how is he going to develop? In the last three months, he's taken huge leaps forward in his his physic physic physically and physicality. Um, physicality is more your mindset, right? So, like physically, he's never going to be Jackson Kasanzu, right? But he, you know, he won't be Evan Conway or Nick Moon. What they are physically, but he's he understands the position and the role, and he knows he has to move around the field at a high level, and he has to just be a little like grittier and nastier at times. And he's done that in the past few months. So he has when we do. Like today we did an exercise where there's a lot of two against ones to goal or three against two to goal. And he's in the top three on our team at decision-making and making final plays. You know, he can dribble by someone and score a goal. He can make the right pass with the right weight on it at the right time. He has a really special ability to do that. So if he's able to physically carry himself in games against grown men, he has real quality that can be really special. In Duran's case, the sky's the limit. He has, um, he's big enough. He's athletic enough. He's really grown a lot with Matt Hall in his range of diving, coming for crosses, his punching, his distribution with his feet. And then if he wants to, which I think he does mentally, he can play at the very highest level. Um, he has all the, all the attributes needed. With playing with grown men, I was thinking about the Dortmund match too. Those were like, oh my goodness, those, those were some men. big human beings. Those are some the, big Germans. The Germans were were yeah. not messing around. One other one here with Messi now in MLS, World Cup coming to the U.S. U.S. soccer culture made made obviously landed on unprecedented leaps since you were a player. What do you what do you see as our future here over the next four or five years, and even beyond, given? Messi, Messi's presence, Copa America, obviously World Cup on the men's and women's side, potentially over the next five years. Um, I'm consistently impressed with how many people follow soccer now. So I, I go to, I have a bunch of buddies in where we live in Rancho Santa Fe and they're not soccer guys. They're like golf guys or baseball guys or whatever. But they'll start asking me like in-depth questions about the Women's World Cup or Messi or the Galaxy. And, and sometimes I look at them I'm like, are you serious? Like, where is this coming from? But people pay attention. I'm not sure why. I, I think the sport has just become popular enough where people want to know enough about it. And that is going to be amplified exponentially in the next three years. The, the 2026 World Cup will be the biggest sporting event on the planet ever by a long shot, right? It's going to be, you can't imagine how big it's going to be. And everybody in the country for a month is going to be talking about, so, literally everybody. I mean, 98% of the world, maybe like our great, great grandpa and grandma won't, but like everybody else will be talking about the sport. And so we have a huge opportunity to grow the sport, huge opportunity to grow the sport. And the hope is that the men take advantage of that and every game does so much for our sport long term and it's hard to explain that but you know getting out of the group and then maybe winning a game and maybe winning a quarterfinal would mean exponentially more for our sport going forward
And by the way, the the women's side, wow, you look around, you go, oh, they've they've really started investing in this around the world, haven't they? When you see Spain no play, when you see England play, you go, oh, this isn't a monopoly anymore, is it? No, so what's happened is all these clubs around the world who do a phenomenal job and have done a phenomenal job developing men's players are doing the same with women now. And it was only a matter of time until they all caught up. And in our country, if you don't do it, you're just going to, we'll be competitive, but we're not, it will never again be where the U S women just dominate every turn. It'll never happen again. So it doesn't mean we can't win. We won't win, et cetera. But everybody else now spending significant resources to develop players around the world. And that's kind of the opposite of what's happened on the men where we're now spending significant resources to develop players. And that's why we're closing that gap. The technical side of the women's game is really on full display for people that are yeah. staying up awake and watching the World Cup, which I, I think, are you rooting for anybody at this point? I know at the time of this recording, it's Spain into the final, England, Australia, either one would be an interesting story. I mean, story. it'd be fun to see the Aussies at home, right? It's totally. Yeah, it'd be fun to see the Aussies at home, but I'm pretty... I'm pretty bummed out if I'm being honest about the women. <laughs> that was devastating. Well, Landon, uh, you're very kind to do this. Uh, it's been a blast for us. Anytime we get the opportunity to chat with you, we always relish it. And thank you so much. And thank you for answering some of their questions. And thank you for being here, for being you, and for everybody here to, to show up and watch Landon do his thing. Thank you, Landon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our thanks again to the investment professionals at Lucia Capital Group for hosting tonight's broadcast live at their Rancho Bernardo headquarters on Bernardo Center Drive. They've been loyal to the San Diego community for more than 40 years. Let Lucia Capital Group devise a customized game plan for you, one that's designed to kick your investment strategy to the next level. Give them a call at 800-644-1150, or you can go online at LuciaLoyal.com. And we thank Lucia all season long for sponsoring this podcast. They're the official wealth management sponsor of, the San, Diego, of San Diego Loyal here for the 2023 season. So thank you very much for the hospitality, whether it was the uh, outstanding tacos or whether it was uh, all of the, the beverages and just the giveaways, the hats. Did you know that there was always Loyal podcast hats and gear? Is I that did what not. I, heard? I did not. Yes. Was there actually a podcast? Yes, hat? but we are we are giving those away here loyal for the people that have arrived, okay. which is amazing. I was going to be so mad at you for <laughs> <laughs> two plus years, and I still don't have that hat. Yeah, right. and I've been saying the same joke around here since I got about two hours ago, which is the the line from. Uh, meet the parents you know how's your uh, portfolio i would say uh strong to very strong so these guys will definitely help you out in that department as well uh jordan obviously getting through since the last time we we did the always loyal podcast we saw a midweek match and then the memphis match as well and landon talked a little bit about some of the antics that were going on you had a bird's eye view for that your yeah, thoughts not fun on the broadcast it, it took actually a lot of restraint from me not just to be really frustrated on the broadcast because what we were kind of saying that there can be an art to closing out a game right especially in this sport there is definitely an art to it 
I didn't see a lot of art Saturday night with the way that was closed out. So it was it was definitely frustrating at times. But the good news, San Diego back at home, only five home games left this season, which I was doing the math on that earlier today, and I was pretty surprised. After this weekend, only four more to go at home. Uh, the website 538, which we reference quite a bit on the podcast, 93% chance of making the playoffs this year for SD Loyal. All right. Well, that feels pretty good, especially by comparison to some other professional sports teams in town. New Mexico, Saturday night, 6.30. Hey, hey, hey. I didn't realize it was that kind of night. I'm sorry. Uh, reminder for everybody, 6.30 Saturday night against New Mexico. Yeah, it's who's a trying to time. find their way into the postseason picture as well. This is going to be on ESPN2 Saturday night. So 6.30, make a note of it. And Jordan, we can say here on the Always Loyal podcast, there's going to be another gear drop coming up Saturday night. It's going to be exclusive to the people that are at Torero Stadium on Saturday night. Travis has told us We that can say this, right? Oh, okay. we're just going for it. Okay. You kidding me? We're not asking I for ask permission. permission. <laughs> <laughs> this will coincide with Lamont Butler. People remember Lamont Butler. Any San Diego State basketball fans? He was, uh, he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. That's right. And he will be there. He's going to uh, do the ceremonial coin flip before the match on ESPN2. And coincidentally or not on Saturday night, you can see the San Diego Loyal basketball jerseys, which you can purchase. There's only going to be about 100 of them. So good luck to everybody. But have you seen the basketball jerseys yet? Yes. yes. I've seen uh, athletes in San Diego mm. wearing them. Is this the one that Joe Musgrove wore? It is, right? So we got a little it bit is. of a preview on that one as okay. well. So this will be a uh, pretty in-demand item those coming up Saturday night. They weren't available before, right? All of a sudden, we just saw Joe Musgrove wearing one. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, where'd that come from? Right. I, I, would, I would like that. <laughs> right. Um, but also, free flag for everyone who shows up this weekend. Tickets starting at $15. Uh, a great opportunity. Only five home matches left to go in the regular season. Crazy. And uh, hopefully at least one more in the postseason. Absolutely. So that will be Saturday night at Torero Stadium. And as Jordan said, there's only 11 more, five at home, six away. So let's end the let's end, end the five-match homestand on a, on a high note, two and two thus far up until this point. So, you know, let's uh, let's figure out a way to pick up three points, and then we'll see the way the rest of the, the regular season unfolds. Yeah, different start time this weekend, 6.30 instead of the usual 7 o'clock we're all used to at Torero Stadium, uh, but that's for TV, right? ESPN2 is mm -hmm. mandating that it, it goes at 6.30. Yeah, so that's what that is. Uh, no Jack Cronin on the call, which makes me very sad. But it is a nationally televised game, so they bring in... They bring in the big dogs. All right. Do you have any thoughts? Now, this is different. Usually we have a guest, and then the guest signs off, and we say, well, what did you think? What were your takeaways? Landon sitting yeah, let's five talk feet about away Landon from us. What did you think of Landon? This. Was he good? Was he, he was a good guest today, or was he uh, you know, okay? Like He was great. No, he, he was, was great. He was very good. He was... I, I wanted to talk about the way Coke Vegas is being used, the impacts, how we're seeing other clubs also use it, um, maybe even have a conversation in the future about where that maybe is going in the world of soccer, how much more will we see, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought we covered quite a bit in that 30-plus minutes with Landon. It was he's very a, good. He's a pretty good guest, that yeah. Landon Donovan, for sure. And if I might, Jordan, before we, we wrap it up and call it a podcast, I do want to shout out, and we love it when our, our supporters are out there and doing things in the community. Shout out to, to Chavos de Loyal, who did a backpack drive.
we talked about all the money that was raised for SD Pride from uh, from from Rainbow Loyal recently, and Chavos did their thing where they did a backpack drive right around the start of the uh, the calendar year, the the school season as well. They um, and Loyal to to Loyal's never-ending credit donated 50 backpacks as well they had upwards of 200 i want to say the number was like 175 to 200 backpacks that went out there and you think about it you know certainly the the way i grew up you never really think about like you know does a kid have a backpack to go to school and to be that thoughtful for chavos to do this sort of stuff uh, for kevin and adrian and everybody and i shouldn't even go down that road where i start naming names but those guys were were working so hard to, to raise money, to have people donate backpacks. And, and of course, we would expect nothing less from, from SD Loyal to, to donate 50 of them that went to kids that are going back to school. So that's just a tremendous thing. And one of the things I think we all have grown to love about Loyal through the wins, through the losses, through the draws is, is certainly how grassroots and community oriented, not just the club, but also the supporters of the club have been as well. Yeah, and then when a club does it right the way Loyal does, it really stands out because it's, I think, pretty special in this sport compared to other sports not that we need to name other sports and talk about like supporters groups fans what do they do for the community how do they make a true impact or are they just showing up to do to celebrate and enjoy their time at a ballpark or a stadium whatever it may be having a real impact in the community is kind of what makes this very special absolutely and it's not just the idea of doing such a thing it's also the the idea of donating your time to go on a weekend, right, where everybody wants to go and kick it and go to the beach and the weather and to go out and, and to volunteer your time, to give away the backpacks, to say, hey, here's where we're going to be. We're, we're going to be at this brewery in South Bay, so come by if you do need. And they were there and, and not only came up with it, but also walked it in addition to talking it as well. Shout out to Chavos. So this Saturday, we'll see Chavos. We'll see locals. We'll be at Torero Stadium. 630 is when we'll kick off on ESPN2. If you can't make it to the stadium, that's where you can watch it. ESPN2, um, ESPN Plus as well if you want to stream it. And I think that pretty much covers everything. $15 tickets, free flags this weekend, basketball jerseys available for the very first time. And you said only 100 of those. That's what I heard. Those were the TPs that I was given. Do you know what that means? TPs? The talking points. Oh. The talking points that I was given before we started. Make sure everybody knows, 6.30, Lamont Butler will be there for the ceremonial coin flip, and it will be the basketball jerseys. Maybe people will want them to the point where we might have to, I don't know, make a couple more. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It will not Supply be, uh, and demand economics, I think. It will think. not be Lamont Butler's first loyal game either. He's been, he's been to Torero before, so he's, he's coming back but this time a different capacity. Flipping the coin. Any uh, advice, any strategy for him? Just make sure we win. All right. Just make sure you win. All right. It's all on Lamont Butler this weekend. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll end the, uh, the homestand on a high note, I think, Saturday night against New Mexico. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. This was a ton of fun. Landon Donovan, thank you so much for making the podcast amazing. And thank you, everyone, who showed up. Very cool. I hope you had fun. It takes years of dedication to become a champion. Palomar Health's team of world-class doctors, nurses, and technicians work tirelessly to ensure that the health care you receive is second to none. Palomar Health, champions of health care, champions for you. Put your values in action by doing your banking with Blue Peak Credit Union, a purpose-driven financial institution. Learn more at bluepeak.com, official credit union of San Diego Loyal. Must meet membership and account criteria. Blue Peak? Blue Peak.